And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast as we round out 2021 and move into 2022, which surely, like the two years before, it will be just a wonderful year for the world. And we are going to spin around the NBA all the big questions for the second part of the season with the one and only Jeff Van Gundy. How are you, sir? Good. How's everything? I'm hanging in. I'm hanging in. You know, that's all you can do. You ready for 2022? I'm just hoping it gets better. That's it. You know, that would be nice. Uh, all right. Are you ready to play? I have 10 big questions. We're not going to get to 10, but are you ready to bring, uh, play 10 big questions for the rest of the NBA season with Jeff Van Gundy? You are Jeff Van Gundy. So if you're not ready to play, we can't play. The game has your name in it. I think I can answer. You know, people won't agree, but I'll answer whatever you got. Okay. Question number one. Are the Los Angeles Lakers 17 and 19 tied now in the loss column for 10th in the Western Conference, which is uh oh time. Also, if you if you're a glass half full guy and really, I think both of us could stand to be more glass half full guys in 2022 coach. They're very close to fifth in the West. That's a glass half full. They're only a couple games out of fifth in the West fall from a head loss to John Morant, the absolutely electrifying John Morant. And the Memphis Grizzlies last night, they've had one of the easiest schedules in the NBA, heavy on home games, which means, according to my sophisticated math, they have one of the hardest schedules left in the NBA, heavy on road games. Coach, the question is, are they done as title contenders? Is it time to just scratch them off as as well? If they figure it out, if if they're healthy, they're still day. Is it time to just end it? They're done. It's over. We move on to next season. Well, I don't know if you would say they were done. I I never thought they were one of the best teams with the roster that they had. I think obviously Anthony Davis comes back um, and James plays at the level he's playing at, you know, they're, they're going to be a formidable playoff team. Now, does that mean they could win four series? No, absolutely. I don't, I don't see that. I just don't think, they'd have to make major upgrades. Kendrick Nunn would have to be a huge upgrade, which I think he can be actually. Um, I just, I think they have too many guys in roles that are too big for where they are in their careers. And I I think um, the depth that they rid themselves up uh, has really hurt them. And, and so, yeah, I just don't think they're in the top three in the, In the West, I'd have a hard time seeing them uh, being able to win a playoff series, let alone four. It really is amazing to look back and they won the championship in the bubble. Now they had to, you know, contort their team a little bit along the way, stop playing their centers when they really felt threatened. But they really what they had was um, a lot of at least – three and D ish guys around LeBron and AD. You can quibble with how good of a shooter Caruso was back then. Rondo shot out of his mind in the bubble. And so effectively became that kind of player. KCP, Danny Green, Kyle Kuzma, they all kind of fit the bill, particularly as Kuzma gets better and better. And they just over time decided to replace those guys with people who are not three and D guys who are either three and no D D and no three, no three, no D, and whatever you classify Russell Westbrook as, it's it's just 
it's really incredible that that's the sort of decision. And I don't think it was one larger decision, but it was a bunch of small decisions that all aimed in that direction. You can point the finger at Palenka. I think that's fair. You can point the finger at LeBron because he is sort of co-GM of this team. I think that's fair. Um, I, 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 but, you know, can I give you some reasons for hope and be glass half full guys for a second? Certainly. Reason for hope, number one, they're plus 10 per 100 possessions. That's very good. With Russ and AD and LeBron, so the three guys who are going to be on the floor when it matters, unless you think Russ shouldn't be on the floor when it matters, which is an interesting discussion, and no center. Those are the lineups that if they're going to win, that's how they're going to win. They've only played 195 minutes in those groups so that you can take it or leave it. The second reason for hope is, and I keep saying this, and it keeps being true, and it keeps being insane to me, they have no lineup coach that has played more than 53 minutes the entire season. None. Every team has at least one lineup that's played that many minutes, and usually two, three, four, five lineups. That lineup for the Lakers has appeared. I don't even know who's in it. I, I don't even care anymore. It's appeared in seven total games. So there is a universe in which they get healthy. They play the right lineups. They're already staggering Russ and LeBron about as much as they can. And and um, and they get a little roster continuity Maybe they're a good team that nobody wants to play, but I just I can't get I can't get any further than that until we see it, until we see LeBron and AD play at top 10 levels, particularly for AD uh, for an extended period of time, which we haven't seen. And even LeBron, he's rolling right now, took 14 threes last night out of his 25 shots. I wonder how many games in his career he's taken more threes than twos. It can't be that many. Do any of those reasons for hope persuade you to pour a little more water or beer in the glass that's half full. Well, I think Davis coming back and playing better, obviously. Um, I think, you know, his numbers look fine, I guess, but I don't think he or anybody around the Lakers would think that he's played well enough for them to be, you know, what they hope to be. Um, But if they can get up to four or five in the, Western Conference, you know, could they beat Memphis in a playoff series? Absolutely. Could you see them beating uh, one of the top three teams in a playoff series? I have a hard time believing that. Even as great as James is, um, even the possibility of how great Davis is. I just think they just have too many guys. You know, they're picking guys up off the street and they start or play huge minutes. And it's just... Um, I, I don't think it speaks to anything other than the guys they were betting on. They're just playing in too big a roles for them. And so if you get in the playoffs or even in the second half of the season where you say they're playing a lot uh, more challenging schedule, like how is that going to work unless James and Davis are great every night? I wonder what you will think of what I'm about to say. I keep hearing you know, Perk keeps saying this on TV. Perk and I fight a lot about the Lakers. He keeps saying, well, it's inexcusable for the Lakers to lose all these games because even with AD out, they still have two superstars. They still have two true blue superstars, two top 75 all-time guys, according to the latest you know iteration of that in, in LeBron and Russ. And, and I think it's just time to call a spade a spade. Russ is not a superstar. Whatever your definition of a superstar is, and when I hear that word, what I hear is, could make an all NBA team this year kind of player. 
Russ just isn't that player anymore. Defensively, he's a disaster. You saw it on the, the Patty Mills three to clinch the Nets game, which you were at, um, sort of crystallized that for people who may not watch Lakers defense film or whatever all the time. He can't shoot jump shots, although he shot okay from three this year, like semi-permissible, shooting 58% at the basket, bonked that dunk. You saw it right up close against the Nets, blew a wide open layup in crunch time last night, uh, and and just isn't bringing and, – and people pay attention to the turnovers, and there are, I think he's second in the league in turnovers behind Harden. It's not just the turnovers. It's the misses at the rim – that are effectively turnovers because he falls over and it's a five on four jailbreak the other way. That's like five more turnovers. And then to me, and to his credit, he's doing less of this this year. Every time he dribbles up and takes a long two with more than 15 on the shot clock, I almost consider that a turnover. If LeBron is on the floor or if AD is on the floor, I almost can. It's like he's turning the ball over 12 times a game. And I'm just Russ has accomplished more in his career than I would in 10 lifetimes. So please take this with the proper level of of whatever that it's intended. I just think it's time to retire this idea that the Lakers without Anthony Davis have two quote-unquote superstars, unless your definition of superstar is just about fame and historical accomplishments. I, Russ is just not that guy anymore. Do you, he's, he's fine. He can do good things. He has good games. He puts up numbers. He's just not that guy to me. Is that fair or is that unfair? Well, I, I think labels are always uh, confining, right? So, you know, under that premise, you know, Carmelo Anthony would be that as well, right? Because he's a top 75 player. And Dwight Howard, uh, although he wasn't, he's a Hall of Fame player. So a lot of it is like where people are in their careers. You know, age matters. And really, LeBron James has defined a lot of, uh, what age for him, but like you mentioned before, much more a jump shooter than an attacker, you know, now. And so, you know, it, this whole, like, you're not what you are for the entirety of your NBA career. You have, uh, you know, these aging, excellent players, right? Like aging, excellent players, well, they're not going to be as good or as consistent. I think, you know, people always say, if only we could be more consistent or if player X could be more consistent. Yeah, that that's the stupidest rationale ever because if they could be more consistent, then they would be better as teams and as players. That is the very definition of superstars is the ability to be really good or great more nights than anybody else in the league. And so, you know, I, I just think like we act sometimes like age uh, doesn't matter and that you're going to always be at 35, what you were at 28. And it's just not, it's just not true. So uh, I don't think the Lakers are underachieving at all. Like I look at their team and I look at a team that is limited um, that like they swung for the fences in some of their moves. And I'm not even saying they were wrong to do it. I'm just saying, like, I don't look at a team, that team that's overly talented. If they have Davis and James playing at a, a really, really high level, both MVP type level performances, then they can win in the playoffs. Anything less than that, I just don't think they have enough. Well, and the other thing about aging players, 
You, by the way, you know who we didn't appreciate? We appreciated him a lot at the time, I think, for how he aged, but it looks even better every year. The way Vince Carter transitioned to sixth man in Dallas and just sort of a more limited sixth, seventh, eighth man was you just don't see that a lot. But the difference is between him and some of the guards that don't age as well is he was a great shooter. And Russ is not even a good shooter. And so can't just sort of transition into an easy off ball spot up role. And I can't I cannot read any more columns. I cannot read them and I cannot write them about how if only Russ would set more screens and if only Russ would cut off the ball and cut back door and tap into that part of his game and really get uncomfortable. It's not happening. Like I can't read any more of them. It's not happening. I actually was curious watching them last night. What's the hardest discussion like that as a coach you ever had to have with a player? It doesn't have to be a star player about changing his role in a way that was maybe either more limited than the player thought he should be or just different harder, whatever, what's like the toughest conversation or, or case of that you had in your career? I don't know if maybe there wasn't one. Yeah, I think, I think what you try to do is not have one really hard one. Um, I think what you're trying to do is have constant communication about what it, it's going to take for your team to play its best. And so many times those were, Hey, it's time for you to come, you know, out of the starting lineup and play a supporting role off the bench, or maybe the ball's not going to be driven to you as much in, you know, as a first option type of guy. Um, those things are, are always challenging, but what you hope to do is not blindside somebody. They can, they see the involvement because of constant communication. But, you know, I, I think you made a really good point about Vince Carter. Um, I would even go to Nowitzki and Tim Duncan. Um, they, like, it, it all is about attitude. Like, you have to gracefully allow others to grow in the role that someone allowed you to grow into. So Duncan always referred to Tim, uh, David Robinson, you know, Novitsky sort of just, I don't remember necessarily who was the guy before Novitsky because he was there so long, but like he, he grew and like, then he allowed others to grow. And I just think it's absolutely critical. Like if, if you're going to age gracefully or if it's going to end ugly, like it, it's one of those two and and neither one is necessarily wrong because those that can't age gracefully, maybe their stubbornness was a big reason for their ability to thrive and succeed. So I just think like what you can't do though, um, what everybody has to understand from a coaching perspective is coaching the Bill Walsh, a great football coach said this and it's true coaching the superstar in decline is the most difficult coaching there is. I, I believed it when I was a coach. I believe it now uh, because if the guy doesn't have that graceful um, attitude towards aging, it's not going to end well. 
Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. What do you think very quickly of these uh, LeBron at center lineups that Vogel and now Fisdale with coach Vogel, hopefully recovering well in health and safety protocols uh, have turned to in the absence of Anthony Davis, obviously when AD's back, these are going to be a limited part of their rotation, but I, probably part of it considering Dwight and DJ have done next to nothing this year. Are they viable to you if they get enough of the supporting guys back? They're fine. I mean, they're fine. I mean, they used it against Houston. I mean, Houston's awful. Like, they beat Houston by a couple down the stretch. Thank like, you for saying that because the coverage of that game, we were guilty of it too, was like stroke of genius, Fizdale, LeBron at center. I'm like, how about the headline should be barely beat a team that stinks? <laughs> like, how about that? They had four guys. Didn't they have four guys score 20 or more? I don't know. Game? Yeah, like, so it's not – like, I didn't understand what everybody was raving about. Like, they beat Houston on the road. Hey, listen, when you've lost five in a row, any win's a good win. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. I'm not even not the, the move is, is fine. But the idea that they unlocked something, I, I didn't understand because, you know, they had played with Carmelo Anthony and James before. Like, this isn't like exactly revolutionary. Like, they're trying to get a win. You know, coaching is nothing more than trying to give yourself your best chance to win. And against some lineups or against some teams, it makes sense. But it still comes back to who are the other four guys around James? I can put James anywhere. James, like, is the type of guy, like, he can, he can, everybody knows this, he can play anywhere. So it's who do I surround him with? Do I have enough? Because He'll bring out the best in most guys, you know? And I think what's scary to me is, is this the best that they, that he can bring out of them? Like, is this the, their best? And I, I, it just keeps coming back to me to Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is their chance. Like he comes back off of this injury and they're in whatever place they're in. And he's able to um, have recharged, uh, refocused, re-energized, and and plays at a top ten level in the NBA. If he can do that, 
then they're really dangerous. LeBron at center, they are plus three in 116 minutes. And you saw it last night, to your point, those lineups are either so bad on defense that they just have no hope. Like if Carmelo Anthony and and Malik Monk and Russell Westbrook are out there, you're just you're just praying. That's all you're doing. That's just prayer. That's basketball prayer. I pray we hit enough threes and they miss enough dunks and threes because they're going to hunt Melo every single possession. It was interesting to see Morant hunt Russ uh, late in the game last night. And then they went defense and they would have Stanley Johnson and THT out there. Stanley Johnson, just already like top five, most essential Laker all of a sudden. And the Grizzlies said, okay, well, those guys can't shoot. We're going to play our big guys just like normal. And we're going to bet that our size is, is you, you don't have the speed in shooting to punish us for playing big versus small. And they generally won that bet. Uh, the 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 uh, I guess the non big lineups, no AD, no center without LeBron. So I guess Mellow's at center. Russ is the key to those are minus 27 and 44 minutes. You can throw those ones in the trash as soon as uh, AD comes back. And just to finish your point on Lakers coverage, I really enjoyed how the headline after Christmas was. LeBron overtakes Kobe as all-time leading scorer on Christmas, as if anyone cares who the all-time leading scorer on Christmas is. And they lost the game. How about you lost at home to the Nets? The Nets had one of their three guys, and you still lost. But LeBron passed Kobe as the all-time leading scorer on Christmas, so all was well. Are you ready for question number two? Yep. Is it time for the Boston Celtics at 16-19 and 19 10th in the West, coming off a game without Jason Tatum and, and some other others in health and safety protocols in which they lost at home to the Clippers who are missing lots and lots of people, um, arguably their three best players and four of their top five, um, and shot four of 42 from three. Four of 42. One of the three was made by Sam Hauser, who – or Hauser, I'm sorry, who um, would not be playing normally. Is it time for the Celtics to explore breaking up Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? Well, all those possible trade ideas or thoughts, it's all dependent on who you can get. So, like, it's not about should we break them up. It's about can we have can we construct a better team um, through a possible trade, right? And I, I don't think anybody in this league, minus maybe Jokic and Giannis, um, who else? Curry. Durant. Durant is untradeable, right? So the idea that, you know, Tatum or Brown would get traded, it, it, that doesn't that might happen, but it's, it's funny. You, it's funny. You bring up Jokic and I apologize for interrupting you because this is what, this is like how screwed up my brain is last night. As I would, couldn't fall asleep. My brain went to this place because this is how good Jokic has gotten. What if Denver just called up Brooklyn for fun and was like, or what if Brooklyn called up Denver for fun? and was like, how, what would you think of a Durant for Jokic trade? Who says no to that trade? Both teams say no and throw the phones out the window and never talking about that. I, this is how screwed up my brain is. This is what I'm thinking about at 12.01 a.m. in my bed, a trade that would never happen in a million years. But, yeah, he's in the untradeable. Those are the untradeable guys. Yeah, well, no, he's – he's I'm, I'm unbelievable that 
they have a winning record with all the all the injuries that they've had. Um, he's just he's just so ridiculously good, and he seems to be. You know, you can't you don't know someone until you coach him. But from the outside observing, he plays in a manner and he conducts himself in a manner that he embraces his teammates versus blames his teammates. Right. So he, he seems like he's, you know, he, he's just that special of a player and a, and a teammate. But the, only time, to- the only time he gets mad is if you don't cut. And that's like, Hey man, I'm going to get you some points. Cut. I'm, I'm giving you baskets. Cut. Uh, anyway, go back to Tatum and Brown. Yeah. So I, again, is it plausible that one of them is traded? Absolutely. It, this idea that it's open-ended though, like, should we trade him? Well, you got to always add for who. And so I think both are really good players. Um, I think the season has been sort of screwed up with all this, you know, uh, COVID and everybody's out. And it's really hard to know if you're uh, Brad Stevens and Ime, what you, you truly have. Um, the thing that bothers me though, I just wish they seemed like, the Celtics, like they, they were, weren't fighting each other, but fighting their true opponents. Sometimes I think, excuse me, that they seem to be fighting, not even each other on the floor, but what they say after the game, like Brown was sort of dismissive of Horford um, after the Minnesota game. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that by the way, when your veteran leader, Al Horford, Says something like, you know, I don't even know what he said. Like, we got to play. It was innocuous. It was totally innocuous. Like, we got to learn about each other or how to win. He didn't, he wasn't pointing the finger. And and, and the only thing you need to do, look, if it's one thing, if like Peyton Pritchard says that, if Al Horford says that, if you're Jalen Brown, all you got to do is be innocuous. Just like you say, hey, you know, Al's, Al's a veteran leader. Yeah, we got to we got to do this. He said we got to look in the mirror or something. I think, and and Jalen took. I I wrote this last week. I'm so tired of them. For I'm tired. Like I can't imagine what it's like to live as a Boston Celtic because I'm tired of experiencing the Boston Celtics as an observer of the league. They have to lead the NBA in the last three years in players only meetings, weirdly tense post-game media sessions and games that make you think like in alternating games, one game of like, Oh, they've got it figured out with three games of like, do they know they're allowed to pass to each other? Like what, what's going on? I'm, I'm just so tired of it. Well, the thing you learn early on in coaching is that you never have it figured out. So that's number one. It's never figured out. It's always, you're always trying to constantly, adjust, adapt, get better, solve something, you know, plug the hole. I think the second part is people, just um, average fans, believe that team meetings, uh, players-only meetings are a sign of good communication. I would say if you need those type of things a lot, you probably don't have the everyday communication that you need uh, from player to player because – you shouldn't have to go and – and then this goes to your third point about the media. Like, it's almost like – what do they call that? Passive-aggressive? Like, they, they're always, like, trying to get their point out in a meeting. Who has the nuts enough to walk up to somebody in the, in the locker room and say, 
pass the ball more. I'm open. Like, quit looking me up. Do you have to go to the media to or put something on social media? Like, can't you walk up to somebody and say what you think? And to me, that's a sign from a player standpoint of, of weak communication. I'll tell you this. I, I do believe this. Ime is a really smart guy who has the patience of Job, who like no one can be ruffled by the way he, he coaches, right? If they're not going to get it together and they're not going to like, if they can't get it together under him, um, then I'm, t- I'm not, and I'm not talking Tatum and Brown either. I'm talking the group. Then either the group's not as talented as some think, or they just don't fit right together. Either way, it doesn't matter if you can't or you or you won't. Like they've got to play better. It, the hard part to me is evaluating in this season because this season, like I don't even know who's in the games half the time anymore. Like that Clipper Boston game wasn't the Clippers. I'm like. I was I was sure when I did the Brooklyn game. I'm like, James Ennis was on Brooklyn, was he not? Now he's on he's on the Clippers. What happened? Did he he catch a ride? Uh, get on the wrong plane coming east, and they just kept him. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. It's a it's a weird season. Sean D. Brown is starting for the Hawks at power forward like five days after playing for the Lakers. I'm like, oh, hey, look at him. Another, he got, got, got an invite to another party. Good for him. Listen, I don't know what the NBA can do about it, but if you paid full price tickets, like, you're not happy. Like, this is like, this is, some of this is brutal, brutal basketball. Can it you imagine? Like, yeah, it would be like going to Broadway and then pulling out, you know, a high school, like a, a set of high school, you know, actors and actresses and have them do the play. I mean, it's just like, again, I, I don't have the answer for the for what the NBA can do about it. But I mean, I really feel for the fans. I'm like, man, some of these games are just awful. I think you're seeing the answer in real time, which is shorten the quarantine periods, get through it, be happy that it's not the end of our season and it's the middle of our season so we can do it, blah, blah, blah. Boy, can you imagine, by the way, if the Knicks had lost that game to the, like, third-string Motor City Cruise? Are they the Motor City Drive? I don't know what the G League team did, which they needed the bench to carry them in the fourth quarter. They would have been – I would have loved to have seen the back page of the post at the Knicks. Oh, well, listen, they played an awful game. Um, terrible you know Alex Burke what you know he was great um but like what's being hidden in all this is how does a guy go from third team all NBA wasn't he third team uh Randall last year uh he might have been second team actually okay check like what's happened like I, I just don't know what's happened like you know, his shooting was it was did he make such a jump that this is natural regression? But I, I don't know. Like I think they're in trouble. Like I know everybody raved about like you know uh their backcourt bouncing back. And again, 
the coverage of, of the Knicks is somewhat like the Lakers. It's, it's uh, high or low. It's not very. I, I might, I might point. call it hysterical. Yeah. Um, that's a good, that's a good word. Um, I, I just think, I, I just think they're not good. Like you watch them and they're just, they're not a good team. Like they, they're not, you know, anytime you're playing like, you know, their backcourt to me is a, you know, a Fournier and Kimba. Um, they were brought in there to like jumpstart an offense. And I think it was reasonable. Like, I think it was reasonable, but defensive liabilities are uh, really there. They really need RJ Barrett and Randall to play a lot better. Um, their center position. Um, if a guy plays five games in a row, it's, it's, it's a good thing. You know, they're, <laughs> No, I'm just saying, like, it's true. they just, they, and so I think, you know, the one thing I think is good is, you know, Rose is out though now, but I think them trying to put their bench back together, um, you know, it, it obviously was good last night, but even against the better teams in the league, the only re- the reason they won last year was not their starting lineup, but it was their bench. So putting their bench back together makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that's their hope, but man, those guys who start, they got to earn their money. They got to play better. I agree with you. Barrett, Barrett's been a little lost in the tug of war between, it's not an intentional tug of war. It's just sort of a stylistic tug of war between the Randall offense in the, oh, we got these guards to come in and pick and roll our offense back to life. And Barrett's sort of caught in the middle. They need him, but I don't want to talk about the Knicks. Um, To your point about Boston, it's not just this season. Last season, COVID smashed them more than most teams. And so it almost feels like two seasons of what's going on here. Here's what I'll say about Jalen and Jason. I still would err on the side of let's flip flip around the pieces around them before I'm I'm trading either of them. I'm not trading Tatum, period. He, apologies to Jalen Brown, who does not want to hear this. Jason Tatum is better than Jalen Brown. Um, and and I, they – Alonzo type creator who doesn't want, doesn't even need or want the ball would have been absolutely perfect for this team. Uh, they don't have that, that player really other than maybe one of the big guys like Al Horford or Robert Williams are really good passers. Um, but I went through the exercise of, and I, and, and I do think it's time for, should we trade Jalen Brown to not be a third rail issue? That's what I'll say. It's time for it not to be a complete non-starter. I would, it wouldn't be my plan A or B, but if you wanted to say, let's start exploring it, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I did start exploring it. Do you want to hear some things that I came up with? Sure, go ahead. Because you're right. The hard question is, it's easy to say, trade Jalen Brown. It's much harder to be like, <clears throat> what can we actually get for Jalen Brown? So step one, if I'm trading Jalen Brown, probably my first thought is, what other established star could I get in something like a one for one or one of the teams has to throw in a couple of picks to keep my team where it is. Do you want to go through some names of that, of that ilk? Sure. Go ahead. Bradley Beal. I say, eh, I don't know if I'm doing that if I'm Boston. I think that's a name you'd hear, but give it an age and contract. He's up for a huge extension. So I said, eh, Dame, Dame's been the hot name. He's got 10 toes down in Portland or whatever. Am I going anywhere with? Am I going anywhere super different with Dame and Tatum 
than I am with Brown and Tatum. Probably a little bit better, but is it enough to trade up six years in age? I said no. Maybe not now. I don't know. Um, but also it depends on what your your goals are. Are your goals to win more this year or next year? You know, like is it is it championship or bust? Like I think people don't believe in incremental improvement um, as much. I do. Uh, that if you can win a little bit more, place yourself in a little bit better position, and then maybe somebody else, you know, falls to you. But those are all – and listen, those would not be easy for either side, which usually is the basis of a good trade. And I don't mean to be dismissive of them. I'm just trying to move fast. Like right. Jalen Brown for Damian Lillard was one of the obvious when it looked like the damn thing might explode. That was an obvious deal construction, and the question then was – how much would Boston have to add to Jalen Brown? Now, Dame is starting to play better now, but he has not had that great of a season by his standards. So I don't know how I, I think the adding is probably less. And I think Boston would probably say, Ooh, is this really worth our while? They'd at least have a meeting about it. Um, then I went to Minnesota and thought Carl Anthony Towns. I don't think Minnesota is doing that. Well, what about Anthony Edwards? I don't think Minnesota is doing that. So I'm running out of established stars. Uh, the deep rebuilding teams, no, I, I, I don't really see, you know, uh, uh, there's no established star there, obviously. The funniest one would be uh, Kyrie Irving, which would not happen. Um, so then I, I landed in a few places. Ben Simmons, which has been talked to death about a Jalen Simmons swap. My read on that situation all along has been Boston would ask for Boston watched the playoffs and played Philadelphia in the playoffs with Ben Simmons has access to the video footage of Ben Simmons melting into a quivering pile of sweat under the basket against the Hawks and would say, well, we need, we need more stuff to trade you Jalen Brown. We know Jalen Brown's a perfect fit next to Joel Embiid. We, we need more stuff. Daryl Morey's probably sitting there biding his time looking at the Celtics. Like you sure you don't want to shake up your team? Cause yeah, uh, you guys, you guys are, kind of bad and this mix doesn't seem to be going well. I still think finding the right deal would be hard there. Uh, I'm going to keep going. You ready? Yeah. Uh, so here's some of the places I landed. De'Aaron Fox and a lot of stuff from the Kings. Not bad. If the Spurs are allegedly a potential Ben Simmons team and that's quieted over the years, well, why wouldn't they have the same kind of interest in Jalen Brown for like a DeJounte Murray plus lots of other stuff? Don't really see it there. Um, if Golden State – now, Golden State's not doing anything, right? Like we know Golden, Golden State is top of the league, blowing people out, but they've been this – there's been this Simmons noise, which I think has been overblown with them because when you're playing this well – Ben Simmons is the most idiosyncratic, weird piece of the star players in the NBA. I don't think you could just drop that in and say, well, let's, we'll make it work on the fly. But the Kuminga Wiseman pick Moody or picks plus Wiggins thing has been floated. Well, if Boston just decides, well, we want to take a step back and get a lot of stuff. Why wouldn't why, that, that Jalen Brown is an easier plug and play in golden state. Again, I don't see this happening. I'm just thinking out loud. Then I found some interesting, some other interesting ones including my favorite Jalen Brown place. Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. This is, this one really gets me excited. What if Memphis was like, we're all in, we think we're ready to take the next big step. We've seen them take swings at big wings before 
as the potential like third cog, whether it's Justice Will- Justice Winslow or uh, the the kid they just drafted, Zaire Williams, who's not playing right now. What if they went to Boston? It was like, look, you can't have Jaron Jackson Jr. Okay, we understand you're going to want Jaron Jackson Jr. Maybe you're going to hang up the phone. Okay, if you do that, fine, we get it. What if we gave you Zaire Williams, Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, pick a salary filler, like three first-round picks, and we've got a bunch of extra ones, and a couple of swaps, and that's our team. Morant, Jalen Brown, you get all the draft equity, which may not be that great because if there are picks, Memphis picks, are going to be good. And and you get every, you get everything you want. That's that's kind of fun. Is that a little, that's that's kind of fun, right? See, I, I think I think you need depth in the NBA to win in the regular season. You're gonna poo poo my you're gonna poo poo my fun. Yeah, I, I I I love Bane. Um, Bane's good, think, man. Ooh, that's why think, he's in the trade. I can hear yeah. Memphis fans rebelling about it, but you can't get you can't do the trade. Then that's it. No, I I I would. I, I just don't think you can strip your team down um, to nothing. Like, you know, like when Morant's out, Tyus Jones played terrific basketball. Like, they have depth, and I, I just don't see them being good enough. Listen, I think they made – uh, like, I still don't make, understand the Adams for Valanchunas. I think it was a total home run for New Orleans and a total loss for – Memphis. So I think they, they stripped themselves down that way. Like if, if they made another trade like that, first of all, I don't think they are ready to ascend past the other teams, but I'm not sure they're even better. Well, it wouldn't necessarily be about, about this year. I mean, Jalen Brown's only 25, by the way, Desmond Bain is only a year and a half younger than Jalen Brown people because he was an older draft prospect. He seems like he just got in the league. They're not that far apart. Uh, in age, I'm just, I'm again, I'm just spitballing for the fun of it. Uh, no, I understand. Just, what I was just saying though, is I just think that's what makes these trades really challenging in today's NBA is Jalen Brown misses. Like, I don't know what his missed games are. Right. But like, um, that's a fair point. Everybody misses games. And, 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 and so if you don't have depth, how do you withstand the 15 or 20 games that guys may miss, I, I just think it makes it more challenging. To me, that's what, you know, Golden State, uh, Phoenix, what they've been able to do is they they have these star players, but they also have depth. And so I just think that's, that's critical if you're going to try to win in the regular season. And by the way, Jalen Brown is a very good player. Just turned 25, has room, to, has room to grow. And the number one place that everyone's looking for him to grow, hoping he grows, glomming on to any glimpse of growth is his playmaking. And I don't think he was at fault for having no assists. I mean, he was somewhat at fault for having no assists last night, but the Celtics missed 9,000 wide open three-pointers, many of which came on Jalen Brown kickouts. But I, I can't – this stat is incredible. For the season – Jalen Brown has 55 assists and 61 turnovers for his career. He has 646 assists and 635 turnovers. So he's essentially a one-to-one assist to turnover player for his career. It's just not good enough. And he hasn't been up to the creative burden that the Celtics have placed upon him. And again, it's hard. That's hard. That sometimes is the last skill that comes for a guy who entered the league as 
is he a three? Is he an elite three and D guy? What is he? A, does he have a three? So I, again, there's time, but that's, that's the, um, the stat two other quick ones on Jalen Brown, fake trades. I see Cleveland come up a lot and I think they would have interest in Jalen Brown. I just don't know what the trade is. Like I don't, uh, you Garland, Mobley, Allen, that's a nucleus you want to keep. Mobley is obviously off limits. If I'm the Celtics, I say, well, I have Robert Williams on a on a, a lesser contract than Jared Allen. I'm not that excited about that. So I don't know that there's a deal there. You can make up some fun Hawks deals. You can make up some fun Hawks deals for, for Jalen Brown. Don't see any of those happening. Um, but the Celtics have just got to play better because this is this is ugly. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All right, are you ready for big question number three? We're only going to get to like five, but we've covered a lot of sub questions. Are you ready for big question yeah, number yeah. three? Uh, what's the best fit? It, what's the best basketball fit for Jeremy Grant, who I think is going to be the bell of the ball at the trade deadline? Well, Denver. Denver. <laughs> Denver. Like, he was in the perfect role for him. Now, understandably he wanted more and a bigger role and he got paid and like, it's great. But Denver playing with Jokic, uh, hopefully Murray's back at some point, like let's get the band back together again. Like even with Gordon there, I mean, they effectively kind of traded Jeremy Grant for Aaron Gordon in a way. Yeah. But I mean, Aaron Gordon's on a pretty reasonable contract. I, I think, you know, I think that, that would be interesting. Um, you know, could they have both of them, you know, one coming off the bench, probably it'd be Grant, I would suspect like before. Um, I also like, and I think you mentioned it before, uh, Chicago has a natural opening there, um, at the four spot, uh, with Patrick Williams out. Right. And they're good. Um, and Green's played fine. You know, he plays with great energy. Uh, I like I like their team. You know, it's interesting building a team, right? Arturis Karnishevis was roasted, roasted for signing DeRozan, right? And it's fair. That's why you don't listen to others. You have to like evaluate your team. And did they become a championship team uh, because of that? I don't know if they're a championship team. 
But again, it goes back to that. That's one of the big questions. Don't spoil. That's one of the big questions. But it goes back to incremental improvement. And so would Grant help them? Absolutely. Now, again, these trades always involve like, who do you have to give up? Um, but I like the I like Denver out west, and I like Chicago in the east. Well, if Denver did sign up for Grant plus Gordon, I would be very alarmed at what that would indicate about Michael Porter Jr.'s uh, long term prognosis. Uh, so that one I don't I don't see. I actually think Denver. We'll talk about Denver later. I think Denver has some interesting decisions to make about what they want to try to accomplish um, this season. So you nailed it on Jeremy Grant. I, I keep reading and hearing and hearing murmurs about how the Lakers are going to try to get Jeremy Grant with Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, and a 2028 first round pick, which is the one they can trade. Now, look, people poo poo the value of a Lakers 2028 first round pick because everyone assumes the Lakers will always be good. The Lakers just came out of like a five year morass of awfulness 2028 is a long time away from now. LeBron will be 40 or whatever he'll be, even older than that, 42 or something. Uh, AD, who knows? Like, I think that pick, depending on the protections, has more value than people are giving it credit for. But you have to think Taylor Horton Tucker is an all-star to to make that the winning bid for the Pistons in whatever Jeremy Grant sweepstakes exists. By the way, another option for the Pistons, if that's their best offer just not trading Jeremy Grant. There's no requirement that the Pistons have to right. trade Jeremy Grant. Um, to, but if I am the Pistons, the first phone call I'm making is the Chicago Bulls. And the first player I'm asking for is Patrick Williams. And I'm testing the Bulls to see you're starting Javante Green at the four. He's playing well. You're playing DeMar at the four a lot. And the, the lineup where they have Caruso with the starters and DeMar at the four is like plus 13 per hundred possessions. Very good. Um, do you think you can win it all this year? Because if you do, Jeremy Grant for Patrick Williams and some other stuff, would, would you do that? Now, I think personally, my and again, no one's going to tell you the truth in this league around this time of year. I don't think the Bulls front office in the end, I just don't, I, I, I could be wrong. Obviously, this is a tough thing. I don't think they'd do it because I know how high they are in Patrick Williams. He's the crown jewel of the sort of dip they took post Jimmy Butler. He and Zach Levine, right? He's like the under 25 crown jewel that they have. He, the optimized version of him fits perfectly with what they're doing. And I think Patrick Williams is going to become a really good player. I bet at the end, even if they could get Jeremy Grant, even if they knew we have the winning bid, we can get him. We're second in the East. I bet they get cold feet and say no, but that's the first call I'm making if I'm if I'm Detroit. Because if I can get Pat Williams, I'm dealing doing that deal in a hot second. Which, by the way, brings me, we might as well do this the big question now as we discuss Jeremy Grant. My big question to you is going to be, can the Bulls as presently constituted make the NBA Finals? I mean, I think, uh, I think people, things would have to break just right for them. You know, I think right now, you know, you have to say the Nets are better, Milwaukee's better, and Miami is, you know, at least even with them. So the sleeping giant, Miami's the sleeping giant in the East right now. Yeah. So I think you'd have to really, uh, I don't know, you'd have to really, a lot of things would have to break right. I don't see them as a championship contender. 
I do think that they can make, if everything breaks right, the Eastern finals, but to think that they could, you know, get themselves all the way to the finals, um, that's hard for me to believe. But if you can make it to the final four, you can win it. I mean, then you're just one sprained ankle, you know, away from, you know, winning it. So this is why you have to, it can't always make sense when you go for it. Like, you know, you're going to face criticism. They would face criticism if they traded Patrick Williams, I'm sure by some me, like you have to, you have to think through everything, but you can overthink it too, because sometimes you just need to give yourself the best chance because you're never going to be, you know, a prohibitive favorite in this league. If you don't have, you know, LeBron or Durant or, you know, those type of guys, which the Bulls don't have. I don't think I would have the guts to do it. I want to be upfront about that. I like Patrick Williams enough. I don't think I'd have the guts to do it. But here's the case you'd make internally if you were a dice roller like that. You Number one, you just said it. Look at Denver. You never, ever know when you're going to be sidetracked for two years by injuries, when a window is going to open and shut and you got to pry it open again. You never know when you're going to look at Boston. We just talked about Boston. Three years ago, they make the conference finals with Kyrie and Hayward Hurt. They look like a dynasty in the making. And we're talking about them at 16 and 19. And should they break up their team? That's how precious it is. Levine and DeRozan, it's hard to imagine they will ever be better than this as a tandem. I mean, they have been incredible. And if Levine, who has duplicated last season's shooting numbers, which were outrageous to begin with, if he has another level as a scorer, that is legitimately frightening. Um, the Bucks. Do they have repeat Olympics fatigue? The Brooke Lopez situation is a little mysterious. What's their center situation? Are they really going to play DeMarcus Cousins, who's been okay lately, when it matters? The Nets, obviously, they have a huge, gigantic wild card hanging over their season, which we don't know about. Harden in the last – Harden coming off – was he in health and safety protocol? I can't keep track of who's actually injured and who's in health and safety protocol. He was health and safety, yeah. He's come out like a bat out of hell since then, looking like the old James Harden. So, you know, but if you're Chicago, you say, well, okay, this is, I'm just making the dice rollers case. Jeremy Grant uh, has proven that he can do more than he did in Denver and probably learned that he should not be doing as much as he did in Detroit. So can we find the happy medium with him as a player? If we can, that's a hell of a player for us. Now he doesn't get any rebounds, but that's a, that's a different story. Um, I don't think I have the guts, and I agree with you. I don't think Chicago can make the finals as presently constituted, so maybe that makes me a wimp for not for thinking both of those things at the same time. And I think <clears throat> you said if you make the Final Four, you're a sprained ankle away. I think if the Final Four is the Bulls, Nets, or Bucks, and then on the other side, pick two of the top three in the West, I think if you're the Bulls, you need a couple of sprained ankles and an, and an outrageous performance from somebody. Yeah. See, I would be more – first of all, I, I dealt with Grant during the Olympics, high-quality guy, like like just by nature, like a giver, like fit in. Um, I would have no I, – I would make that trade. Ooh. Uh, I, 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 you know, again, these are just, what you know, whatever you call them, like thoughts. But I, I think – 
you know, DeRozan, and you made the case, DeRozan, I don't know what he's signed to, but he, you know, he's not going to be at this peak for a long time. So I, I like Grant. I don't know what else they would have to give, but I like the idea of Grant's versatility with the group that they have. And I like it as, you know, he could play some at the five if necessary against some of these teams. I like that's a good call. You know, so uh, I, I, I like that very much for them. Now, the other the other side of it is you now are signing up to have five guys earning 20 million or, or, or more. And Levine's case is going to be a hell of a lot more. But you're the Bulls. You make a lot of money. Maybe you just deal with right. that, you know. And, and Lonzo and Vooch and Damara are around 20 to 23. They're not max max deals. Um, you know who I really like on their team, by the way, is the Desumnu, Io Desumnu. He has so much spunk for a little skinny guard. He's not that little, but for a skinny guard, he defends, he gets around screens, has blocked Trey Young a couple of times in their little mini series. And he just sometimes you just look at a guy and the way he plays, he's like, He's just totally unfazed as a rookie by, oh, I'm guarding Trey Young. No, that's cool. I can do that. Oh, I got to get around. I got to switch on to this guy. All right, well, I'll, I'll do my best. I can do that. I, I love that kid. Um, but I'm just not sure I have the, the – the Bulls are actually down to 11th in defense. Which they've been top 10 most of the season. They allow the most shots at the rim in the league. Uh, and they're number two in field goal percentage allowed through them, so it's not hurting them. I'm I'm just keeping an eye on it. I'm keeping an eye. If that falls toward average, if that defense, and again, they've been missing Lonzo and Caruso for for the last couple weeks off and on, they have been the most important defensive players on that team. Maybe that's all it is. I'm just keeping an eye on it. And you know what? As I'm going through it, though, maybe it's not crazy for the Lakers to think we'd have a puncher's chance at Jeremy Grant because I'm looking at the other teams. I'm like, who else is coming in? I, I want like if I'm the Suns, I'm I'm giving you Sarich, Jalen Smith and a first round pick. I, the Lakers offer might be better than that. The Suns can tr- can't trade a second first round pick um, unless Oklahoma City, they owe Oklahoma City a pick unless Oklahoma City agrees to lift the protections on that pick. By the way, Oklahoma City, nobody will get more excited than Sam Presti if a GM called up and said, hey, we need you to lift the protections on this pick. What, what, what is it going to take? Oh, baby, give me a second rounder, baby. Let's do it. Um, the Knicks might look around at a Jeremy Grant. Boston could throw a couple picks their way. The other package I'm looking at is Utah with Joe Ingles expiring contract, a first round pick. And I think Jared Butler, who they just drafted, looms as an interesting trade ship. Because I think Utah, I, I think Utah will at least, particularly with Danny Ainge there, will at least look around at going all in because if, because if you're, I mean, they've gone like mostly in with the Conley trade and other stuff, but they are, they are good, but that top, they're real. They're not just good. They are great, but that top three in the West is crazy, crazy good. Yeah, it is. And I think you have to be on the lookout to improve yourself. I mean, why wouldn't you people like it? And this is a constant thing. Like, you got to constantly be looking how you can get better. I don't care where you are. You could be Detroit, who, you know, is obviously at the bottom right now, or you're at the top in Golden State. Like, uh, if you're Golden State, you're going to look to get better. Like, does that mean you can actually do it or pull it off? No, but you have to, you can't rest and, and think, well, we just keep going. 
like as is, and we'll be fine. If you're Utah, you've been knocking on the door, like great regular seasons, you know, some disappointing, uh, you know, playoff losses like to Denver a couple of years ago in the bubble. Right. So you've got to figure out like, you know, like Ingles, it would be a hard guy as, as a secondary ball handler to lose. Um, but you know, this is what, you know, they have to try to decide like just how, how they can do it. Like how can they get better to give themselves a better chance? And I still think if I'm them, I'm looking around like, man, we may need one more reliable perimeter defender to really, to really do this. And, oh, I think they do. I think they have to like, like that's a weakness. Like, you know, Bogdanovich and you know, Royce O'Neal is like, he does a good job. Right. But like, you know, can Ingles move well enough? You know, Donovan Mitchell's size, you know, like you have to, you can't say everything's about Gobert. Oh yeah. But we got Rudy. Right. Um, I, I just think they're really good. Uh, I think it's also interesting too, like with Utah, like, I don't know who shoots the most threes, not just raw numbers, but percentage of shots as threes, but I would suspect it's Utah. Um, and it's Utah. It is Utah, right? So th- does that give you a better chance to pull off an upset in the playoffs if you had to try to beat, you know, Utah? I mean, you beat Phoenix or Golden State because you shoot that many, or does it give you, if you have a bad couple nights, uh, an ability to be upset, you know, more. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the shot selection in our league. Um, you talked about Russell Westbrook's pull-up twos. I think the number of guys who shoot the dribble up three, some of them are ridiculous shots. And maybe analytically, they say, hey, that's a still, that's a, uh, it is a fine look. I know shot selection and defensive help, right? Those two things. They're the biggest chemistry destroyers that there is. And so what may be an analytically acceptable shot for the scientists in the boardroom can absolutely tear a team apart. And I just, I'm just so interested in how the shot selection evolves. Or if somebody says, like Cleveland did going big, like, you know what? Everybody's playing like this. Maybe we'll do it different. I don't know. I'm just interested. I'm so depressed about the Rubio injury, by the way. Um, He was playing great, not shooting great, but playing great. They're like plus a gazillion with Rubio and Garland. They have the best point differential in the East. We're talking about all these other teams in the East. Cleveland's got the best point differential. I think they would have had a chance to win a playoff round. And that sounds like, oh, wow, a playoff round. But when your consensus top four in the East is Milwaukee, Brooklyn, now Chicago has to be in that group in Miami. Yeah, winning a round is, is hard. And I think they would have had a chance at it. To your point on Utah, I think, I think their offense is borderline slump-proof now because they've diversified it to the point that they're second in free throw rate, top five offensive rebounding, and – they get out and transition a fair bit and they're just a great shooting team, but I do. It is interesting. Let me, can we do some rapid fire fill in the blanks to round it out? Jeff Van Gundy's NBA championship favorite as of today is blank. Brooklyn. 
I go Milwaukee just because Brooklyn was my preseason pick, but I just I, I gotta see, I gotta see it. But they're the they're the right answer. They're the best team if they if they are fully formed. Uh, the best team in the Western Conference is Golden State. Agreed. I think they're the best team. They're getting Clay back. They they would have been my pick. Um, yeah, but I'm gonna just say this: this idea that they're getting Clay back, they're right? getting something back. We don't know what what Clay yes. it is exactly, and. I, I think we'd all be me making a mistake to put too much pressure on him to be Clay Thompson that we know these injuries are, are serious. You don't take two years off of competition and come all the way back. Um, how much does him coming back diminish pool? Uh, I, I think pool is, he's a tremendous player now. I, I, I didn't see it coming, but man, has he gotten so much better? So I think we have to be, you know, this idea that we're just adding and and if Clay Thompson comes back and we just add him, there's not going to be any subtraction. Uh, I think you could be making a mistake there. Well, I think if your Clay thing is, is he going to do more for us than the combination of all these guys that are seventh guys, but play our style really well, right? Like Clay plays our style pretty well. He's played it for 10 years. Yeah, great. He's, he's, a, he's a very good player. Come on. Is he, is he going to give us more in this – theoretically diminished state than Otto Porter, Bayelitsa, Toscano Anderson, GP2. I love GP2, by the way. Um, I think that is sort of step one. If he can hit that baseline, and I suspect he will. But look, I, I'm with you on Golden State because, you know, the, the first 20 games, there was this feeling of Steph's incredible, Draymond's incredible, Wiggins is having the best year of his career. But the names on the roster after Steph and Draymond are like, we're really counting on these guys. Like they're really winning this many games with the, these names is three to 12. And I think almost halfway through the season, I, I think you have to conclude it's real that all of those guys know how to play the Warriors style, which is not for everybody and very hard to play against because of how unusual it is. And the power of that shared identity plus a, a top five player in Steph and maybe the greatest defensive player in modern NBA history and Draymond Green, who also happens to be one of the best big man passers in NBA history. That is this powerful. Like, I don't care if the names aren't sexy. It, it works when you beat the Suns two out of three and you do this. I, I just think there's no other conclusion to make than if I'm picking who's winning the West out of those three right now, I'm with you. I'm picking the Warriors. Yeah. And the interesting part is Curry's numbers are all down. Like from last year, you know, it's, it's amazing. He's having a much worse statistical year shooting the ball wise, and they're a lot better. And that's what people they don't want to acknowledge. Like, you know, it's like what did he average thirty two last year, and he's at I think twenty seven this year. Um, his shooting is down like significantly. Um, he's under forty percent from three, coach. Thirty nine point seven. Sound the alarm. No, but it's it's a lot. It's it's down. Like he's at, he's down to fifty percent on twos, which is the bigger which is the bigger drop for him. He's an incredible two point shooter. Right. So how are they? They have this massive injury, right? To Thompson, uh, Curry, not shooting as well, right? And they're dominant like that. Like to me, um, it it speaks again back to the depth issue. Like. They have a lot of these guys, Toscano Anderson, he may not play, then he starts the other night. You know, Bielitsa goes from, uh, you know, how's he going to play? 
he's our backup five. You know, um, Wiseman not being there, I think no one wants to talk about it because it's like this taboo. You know, they keep at it say when he gets back, like, are we even sure they're gonna he's gonna be in the rotation when he comes back, right? And are they as good if they do put him in? Like these are all like legit questions, or are they better with Bielitsa and Otto Porter, those guys, right? I mean, these are hard decisions for Steve Kerr, for Bob Myers. Like these are challenges. You're asking the right questions about Wiseman. That's that's all I'll say. I assume nothing. Um, next big question, fill in the blank. Can the Nets win the championship with Kyrie Irving as a part-time player? Yes. Okay. But but my question would be, would you want home court advantage or would you want like the seventh game at home without Kyrie or would you rather play the seventh game at home or on the road with Kyrie? I, honestly, me- honestly, I, I felt, I felt, I felt my breakfast coming up my esophagus as you asked this question, because I just, I can't, I can't entertain it. It's so ridiculous that we're having this to, are we going to throw the last five games of the season to get like the, the second seed or whatever? I just, I can't, I can't. Um, no, but it's, 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 and you know what? It's real. I know it's real. No, but what's still like mind boggling to me is as much as I believe in va- the vaccinations and all this, that home players can't play in New York, but road, but unvaccinated road players can like what? Like that makes no sense to me. Like well, this is this the also whole reminds, idea makes no sense to me. Makes no sense. And this reminds me of we were talking off air before this. I, I've been talking to the coaches association for the last couple of weeks because I was I was discussing two weeks ago with the league office saying, you know, I feel for all these coaches and I understand why they don't want to wear masks. You know, you see Alvin Gentry now wearing a mask during games. It's hard to coach in a mask. They've been told they don't have to wear a mask. Every fan sitting courtside. Not every fan. Most fans sitting courtside are not wearing masks. Like you have to sit within it when you broadcast from courtside. And I was telling these people in the league, I was like, I, I'm worried these coaches are going to get sick. And now a lot of the coaches are getting sick. And thank God, no one appears to have gotten really sick. But it just it reminds of, the, of speaking of things that make no sense. We take all these precautions, rightfully so. And then it's like, let's walk into an arena with, you know, X thousand of fans X percentage of which are not wearing masks. Well, being there, like, again, we know the reason why fans are there. It's, it's business, it's money, right? But health, health-wise, it makes no sense, right? I mean, for them or for the people that they surround, but money trumps, as it always does. The best basketball fit for Ben Simmons is? Philadelphia. Ooh, I love that's not even on my chart, coach. Make the case for me. I love it. Well, there's no guesswork. It works. It's 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 worked before. It can work again. Um, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know what the you know, what's hampering or what's preventing Simmons from wanting to play there. Um, if there's other things that we don't know about. But I think it's like a no-brainer. You need a, a five who can 
who can shoot so that he can be um, this push it point guard, be like down in the dunker, pick and roll player. Like you don't find guys like Embiid around. The other one to me would be Denver because of Jokic's great ability, right? It would give them a push in transition. So, but I, I say it's Philly. And again, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes or what, I don't even know if Simmons is getting paid now or if he's just punting, you know, right now his money. But I hope it's hard when you give up a a full year of your prime. And I just, I just hope that they can come to a resolution so he can start that he'll play again. You know, an under discussed thing that very few people are talking about that's a trickle down effect of Simmons not being there is the Sixers have been one of the five to eight best rebounding teams for the last four or five seasons. They're 30th in offensive rebounding and 26th in defensive rebounding. And a lot of that is Simmons because Embiid and Drummond are rebounding at the same numbers as Embiid and Howard did last year. They've just given all, and Simmons is a good rebounder for a really good rebounder on both ends. You mentioned the dunker spot. You luck into two offensive rebounds a game sitting down there. All his shot attempts come at the rim, which are the most frequently rebounded by the offense types of shots. And other than that, they've given all his minutes to guys who can't rebound. And they're, they're now maybe them and Charlotte are the two worst rebounding. Imagine having Joel Embiid and being the worst rebounding team in the NBA. That's well, that's what's going on. They're tiny. I mean, they're tiny. Like their guards are small. I mean, they're a tiny group. And ben Simmons also like, like he just defensively, um, he's so good. Uh, the push of the ball diversifies your offense. You know, it's just, it's just really unfortunate. I like, I think Philly's the best fit. I like Denver for him. Um, and I think, you know, what could, what would Denver be willing to do? If anything, maybe they don't believe in him. I don't know, but anyway, it, there are not a lot of easy fits, but I think what's been lost in all of this is how good Ben Simmons is. And, you know, the one series, the one play, they're in a seventh game at home to go to the conference finals. Even if Ben Simmons passes that up, like that, that layup up and they win the game, are we still talking about, we knew his career was over in Philly when he passed that up? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Depends on the next round, because I think we would be talking about what did he make one basket in the fourth quarter of that series? The entire series, I think. I think we'd still be talking about it. I don't know. It would depend on how he played against Milwaukee. Denver, my assumption on Denver is they're just in a holding pattern, given all these injuries. If I'm the Cavs and I want to keep the good vibes going, I'm calling them about Monty Morris just to see if Denver will try to split the baby a little bit and maybe get some draft assets for Monty Morris and Jeff Green and just say, okay, this year is a lost year for us. On the other hand, Jokic is so good, he's going to keep us in the playoff race by himself if if need be. I'd also expect the Cavs to call Boston about Dennis Schroeder, but that's neither here nor there. My Simmons answer, because I answer all my own questions, I gave up and just said Sacramento. And because I think the Philly bridge has been burned and then they, they burned the embers of the bridge and just burned everything in sight. Um, Portland. I, I like the idea. 
with Damian Lillard, Portland stinks. And I, I, I don't know what's going on with the Damian Lillard situation, but if they just stink, again, I don't know. I'm not inside there. I, I'm nervous about making a deal that is built around the idea of Damian Lillard being here forever, but I do like the fit. So I just shrugged my shoulders at Sacramento because I just Sacramento's bad. They're bad again. They can't stop anybody. They're now within spitting distance of the tenth seed. It just feels like they're. I just it's just my gut that I don't think their team is going to look the same after the trade light deadline as it does now. That was my, that was my pick. But I like I like that you went Philadelphia, Coach. Yeah, I don't believe the bridge is burned. I don't. I, if he came back tomorrow, he would be booed at home. Let's say he's booed and he plays well. He'll be booed the next game. Are we saying in two weeks they'd still be booing him if they win six in a row and he's playing great? I don't believe it. I think it would be fine. I think fans um, are passionate, particularly Philly fans or East Coast fans, but they're also highly forgiving. And so I I just think, like, nothing's beyond the realm. And I I don't think he should – well, I, I'll say this, too. I think since he's the one that has to live with it, I think he has to be the one to really think through, like, what is he trying to get out of this? And let's just say he went to Sacramento. Is he sure that's a better situation for him than Philly? Like, I mean, that's a historically inept franchise ever since, you know, they let Rick Adelman go. Right. So would he, would he be better off? Like I, I would say he'd be better off biting the bullet. He's in a great basketball town. He has got a great coach, uh, an unbelievable uh, president and Daryl Morey, who's proven that he'll, he'll, he'll try, he'll do anything he can to put together the best roster to try to win. Um He's got Joel Embiid, who, again, a little bit passive-aggressive at times with him. How about just going to each other and vowing that we will only communicate with each other? We won't communicate through coaches, through other people, through the media. And then let's see where it goes. So I, I don't believe it's, it's burn, it, it has to be burned. I mean, again, Ben Simmons is choosing right now to not play there and I guess not get paid. But I, this, the grass is greener. When you're old like me, you understand that, you know, there are problems everywhere in every organization. I made the case three months ago that if he walked in and gave a press conference and said, hey, I realize I let the team down. I've been going through a lot of mental struggles about my shooting, my free throw shooting. It's going to be a long struggle for me, but I'm going to come out of it. I'm going to try my best. I'm going to come play the fans would forgive him. I just think so much time has passed since then. I'm skeptical. And by the way, I'm, I don't even know if Sacramento has the goods to get Ben Simmons. I don't know what field right, they would I, want, I agree. you know, but I'm just saying like you pick your spot, whatever the spot is, it's, it's not Nirvana. And again, anybody that underperforms that's, that's highly paid and it's, it's his game that's always going to be scrutinized more than non-scoring really good player. We're not even non-scoring, but non-range shooting, right? Um, It's going to be scrutinized. And so wherever he gets traded, there's no spot that you're not going to be scrutinized. 
um, at that salary. So I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm hopeful still that he'll walk in. He'll, he'll say, I'm not giving my money back anymore. Like you said, give a press conference. I made this decision. I thought it was best for me uh, over the last couple months. I've come to the conclusion that I want to be a sixer. Um, I'm going to work hard. I'm disappointed in the playoffs, yada, yada. And then, and then play hard. Like y'all, like Ben Simmons plays hard. It's not like, it's not like you're having to convince this dude to play hard. So play hard. And, you know, I think it'd be fine. But again, that's, that's Ben Simmons decision. I don't get the sense that the Sixers love, love, love De'Aaron Fox. Maybe we have to be a three teamer Cleveland. Woj brought up Cleveland. I don't see a deal there that I love unless Philly's got a, a, a third team. You know, so we'll take Kevin Love and like four draft picks. I don't I don't see a, a Cleveland deal that I love because Sexton obviously isn't helping anybody this year. Um, any New Year's resolutions for Jeff Van Gundy? Do you make New Year's resolutions? Only in my mind. I, I think you're supposed to write them down if you want them to really come true. But mine is to not eat M&Ms on the treadmill. I'm sorry. You eat M&Ms while doing the treadmill? Yeah. That that's problematic. Do you do you have a do you have a bag? Do you put them in a cup and put the cup in the cup holder? What are the mechanics of this? No, it's the it's the bag. And and you know, you think like I always come out of working out, unfortunately, having eaten more calories than I burned. That's a, that's a problem. So that's my new year's resolution. I'm really glad I asked because every time I have you on I learned something interesting about people are still asking me about, you probably don't even remember this about Jeff Van Gundy saying on the low post podcast that he drove some preposterous distance in the car with total silence, no podcast, no music, no to anything the to the people, bubble and back. Yeah. People were concerned about your mental well being when they heard this. No, like my mental bill. I, I, I worry about people's mental well being that have to listen to music, not to, to be able to, I'm, I'm solving world problems in my mind. As I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm driving, you know, Jeff Van Gundy, uh, absolute best in the business. You and Mark and Breen are just a pleasure to listen to. I, I always, I, I just can't believe you waste your time on my podcast, but until you say no, I'm going to keep asking you your insight is second to none. And I love talking ball with you. Stay safe. Happy new year. I hope to run into you soon. Take care. Zach. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.